we should conceive of them as tools. Yes, extraordinarily powerful, but tools in our human hands. We decide, we develop, we determine, we deploy. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Access Partnerships AI Global Watch. My name is Jessica. I'm an analyst here in the London office, and I have the absolute pleasure of hosting today's session. This series has been looking at gathering global AI perspectives, assessing the opportunities and risks through the lens of global legislators from around the world. And with that, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing today Lord Holmes of Richmond. Lord Holmes is a member of the House of Lords in the UK Parliament and has a real focus on AI and tech policy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Lord Holmes, before we dive into the nitty gritty, I would first like to touch upon your journey into the House of Lords, starting with your esteemed career as a swimmer, and what really sparked your interest in tech and digital policy. Well, thank you very much. And again, it's a pleasure to be with you today. I grew up in the Midlands, a working class town, went to what was described as the worst comprehensive school in the county. So it was as much as a surprise for me as for anybody that I got a call completely out of the blue to get asked to join the House of Lords. Before that, I was fortunate enough to be a member of the Great Britain swimming team and just had a great life traveling around the world, competing, went to four Paralympic Games. And when you're training and competing in sport, it's such a clear, straightforward, focus life, five hours in the pool every day, an hour in the gym, all focus, those thousands of hours and millions of meters in the pool all condense for those one moments in time when you're at the games and having to put the best performance of your life together one moment in time. Technology has always been important to me, critical, in that when I was at that comprehensive school, when I was 14, I went to bed one night and when I woke up, I couldn't see. I'd lost my sight overnight, which was completely unexpected. And alongside the people, friends, families, teachers, swim coaches, the people got me through, but it was the technology which was such an enabler, really basic laptop with really basic speech output software. I taught myself to touch type to be able to put the information in, in the same way as anybody else would. Really basic software, which spoke the stuff back to me. But it was that technology. I didn't know the words inclusion, didn't know the words assistive technology, but it was inclusion. It was inclusive tech. It was assistive tech. And I've been interested in technology both deeply into how it works and what it can do, but latterly really interested in some of the most difficult, pernicious, social, economic problems that we can put human-led technology towards solving. And that assistive technology enabled you to pursue your full academic career? It was extraordinary. There was obviously a great deal of pressure for me to have to go to a special school. There were no blind people in mainstream education at that time, but all my mates were at that school. I wanted to stay there. There were no 
line swimmers in mainstream swim clubs, but I wanted to go back to my swim club. It was the technology, but crucially the human-led technology and the humans that put a plan together which involved that technology, which enabled me to go back to comprehensive school, do A-levels, get to the University of Cambridge, do law finals. And it's still today, yes, a more advanced, but still that assistive technology which enables me to do my job in Parliament and everything else I'm involved with. Thank you so much for sharing that, your experience. I think that leads us very nicely into now your experience in the House of Lords. Um, You entered the House of Lords in 2013. You've had a 10-year tenure. And you were part of the really early discussions on AI. You were a member of the AI Select Committee, which in 2018 produced a report which highlighted the potential of the UK's role in leading on the way on ethical AI. Now, fast forwarding to 2023, how does it feel today? Is it a different hype cycle for you for AI? I think it is a different hype cycle. Many of us were involved with AI when I first arrived in the House of Lords. And indeed, well before that, I remember reading something when I was in my 20s about a US professor who sent his PhD grad students away for the summer vacation in 1956 to, quote, go and solve the problem of artificial (laughs) intelligence. Good luck. Yeah, I'm sure they had a great summer. I think they probably achieved a lot. But it's obviously a long journey, as with any development of any technology or indeed any anything. There's no question that LLMs, or as people would more likely know them at the moment, ChatGPT, has really switched up that hype cycle right now. But that's, as you know, but one element of AI. It's been positive in that it's got many, many more people interested, discussing, writing about AI. But exactly at the heart of your question, it's always essential that we go beyond the hype bubble and really consider the essence of what the technologies are, what they can do. And for me, in this context, what public purpose, what public good, what common good they can be put to. And I guess within that context, how have attitudes towards AI changed within your conversations with fellow peers in tackling the subject? What we've seen over the past decade is more colleagues interested in AI, more peers interested in getting involved in the various bits of legislation and certainly greater conversations. We set up the all-party artificial intelligence group in 2016, and that brings parliamentarians and outside businesses, organisations together to really increase the understanding for both parties of each other's world. So definitely far more interest, far more focus, but still I think AI and indeed technology per se is still probably seen in Parliament in many ways in the way it's seen in broad society as a bit of a vertical rather than a horizontal thread running through everything. So we might have colleagues who are interested in defence or education and they see that's their area. And they know there are people involved in technologies 
or AI, but they think that is another vertical, another subject matter, if you will. The reality is to get this right, it will be enabling all colleagues and indeed everybody across society to understand how AI can positively impact their issues, their areas of concern, and to understand the pluses and, of course, indeed, the risks involved. Touching upon bringing together government, industry, and wider society in this topic, um, earlier this year, some of my colleagues had the pleasure to listen to you speak at the AI Summit in June. This is not to be confused with the government-led AI Safety Summit, which we'll touch upon. But first, I'd be really interested to hear more about the points on AI and inclusion that you raised. Um, You very poetically described AI and inclusion as a golden thread that should be running through the every element of development and deployment of AI. Could you speak a little bit more to this idea? I think since coming to Parliament, what I've tried to do is thread everything that I'm involved with around what I describe as the golden threads of talent and technology, inclusion and innovation. And that really speaks to the sense of no matter how good the technology is, no matter how good the algorithm, no matter how good the app is, ultimately it has to be human-centric, human-led, human-developed, human-deployed, human-understood. And that's understanding in terms of a citizen, not in terms of A developer. So that sense of AI needing to be absolutely inclusive is critical because we can't create a whole new world of possibilities, which AI can for sure bring us if it doesn't enable, empower, and include all members of society. You'll obviously be aware of buildings that were put up hundreds of years ago before access and inclusion was considered. They've had to be adapted. They've had to be amended. They've had to have lifts put in, ramps put in, et cetera, and quite right too. We don't need to make those same mistakes again with AI. We can make it inclusive by design. It's not just that we can, we absolutely must. And do you feel like wider society developers and people engaged in the discourse are receptive to this and prioritising this enough? Or do you think there's still a long way to go? We're on a journey with AI inclusion as with inclusion and diversity across the whole of society. What I've found when I've discussed it with people in whatever part of the AI ecosystem they're in, people are extraordinarily receptive. They may not have considered it, and that's just fine but they've been very receptive into thinking on how to make their development journey, their specific product, their algorithm, inclusive, accessible, explainable. And ultimately, all of us in this space have to focus on that because if we don't enable everybody through AI, we won't have really achieve very much at all if sections of society are effectively shut out. Absolutely. And I think, as you've said before, the current UK government is really prioritising AI. It's at the forefront of their immediate priorities. Um, At the time in recording 
this session, the UK AI Safety Summit is a mere two weeks away. Uh, this will be the 1st and 2nd of November, hosted at Bletchley Park. The focus of the summit is really on the most powerful technologies and some specific narrow use cases. I wonder whether this could be seen as an abstract focus when people are generally worried about the threat of AI potentially to the risk of their jobs. Um, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on the government's focus, focus on the summit and the potential um, for not thinking about some other key priorities? I think the AI summit at Bletchley is an excellent initiative. It's a, a very, hopefully, a very positive lighthouse moment in all of this. But implicit in your question is quite right. It's an element, an important element of it to consider frontier technologies, frontier AI, and how we want to perceive of this, regulate it, work with it. That's incredibly important, but it is but one part of it. And it always needs to be the priority of legislators, regulators, of government to understand how to provide the most enabling, the most empowering stage so then us as citizens, organizations, businesses, whatever communities, cities can put on whatever show we choose on that stage. So absolutely critical that the summit is a success. It's sharply focused and that's very positive, but it needs to be one important, but one important part of a much broader approach to AI to cover safety for sure, yeah. accessibility, but prosperity and the real concerns of people, which you rightly identify, the narrative can all too often understandably be the bots are coming, our jobs are going, we're all off to hell, no one even knows there's a handcart. <laughs> we need to ensure that there is public engagement, Indeed. public debate to take us all on a positive human-led AI journey. And what do you think would be the best outcome for you from the AI Summit? I think the AI Summit will be positively viewed and positively considered if it stays very much within the lane that it's set in terms of sure. frontier elements of AI. If we have the AI safety centre, which comes out as a result of it, if we're able to really channel channel that extraordinary power of Bletchley Park, which I'm sure everybody knows about the history, but some may not. This is where technology was put to the most positive purpose in the history of humankind to defeat the Nazis, led by Alan Turing and such a diverse workforce. It is the epitome of inclusive by design, diverse workforce leading technology to defeat Nazi Germany at some of the darkest days of our civilization. If we can channel that golden light, the legacy of Turing, that will be a phenomenal success. And then 
we need to expand across all of the other elements and areas to ensure that everybody feels they can have a say, everybody's voice is heard, everybody's view matters, and everybody's enabled to have successful experiences of and with AI. And where do you think the UK can add the greatest value? International cooperation around AI is essential. It's a global technology. You were just speaking to the context of Bletchley Park. Where do you think the AI can, sorry, where do you think the UK can add the greatest value? I think we have a convening role. We shouldn't, in any sense, overplay that. I think we should approach things as bringing people together as equals, driving all of the understanding around connectivity, around interoperability, a sense that we are welcoming the world to Bletchley Park to discuss, to interact, and to come up with solutions, policy proposals, which will enable us to protect and which will enable us to prosper. And I think just to round off the conversation, is there anything that governments aren't thinking about enough or that should really be in in the forefront of these conversations? I think we need to do far more. We're doing some good stuff. We need to do far more in enabling that public discourse around AI and indeed all of these new technologies. They're extraordinarily powerful. I think we should conceive of them as tools. Yes, extraordinarily powerful, but tools in our human hands. We decide, we develop, we determine, we deploy. We need everybody to be engaged. And as a great example of where we've really got that right in the past with in vitro fertilization, what could be more science fiction? What could be potentially more terrifying than bringing human life into being in a test tube? Why was that a success? Because a colleague of mine, Baroness Warnock, led the Warnock Commission to do exactly this around bringing people together to discuss, to debate, to understand what we were trying to achieve with that. That's why it's seen now not only as not threatening, it's seen as an utterly positive, regular part of our society. That's where we need to get AI positively positioned, and we'll only get that if we really have a far greater public engagement, public debate, public discourse. And as you know, ultimately, all of this is built on data, our data. So we'll know if we've got that debate right when people can truly say, our data, our decisions, we decide, we determine, then we can have nothing short of economic, social, psychological good, psychological, social, economic growth for centuries to come. Lord Holmes, that's a very powerful point to end on. And thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Complete pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. And with that, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of AI Global Watch. If you'd like to see more of this content, please like and subscribe our Access Partnership page. And this episode will be available on all streaming sites.